This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Give you a quick update on the University of Houston Cougar basketball team. They're leading Cincinnati 57-44, to 330 remaining in the game. Cougs on top 57-44. to 44. Looked like they were going to absolutely smash the Bearcats at the start of the second half. They went on a 12-4 run, took a sizable lead. Bearcats kind of eking their way back into it a little bit. L.J. Cryer, the man uh, for the Cougs tonight. He's got 20 points. 7 of 15 from the field has drained four threes. Emmanuel Sharp has kind of come on a little bit in the uh, second half. Has a couple of threes, three for the night, nine points. So keep you up to date on the number one ranked Houston Cougars, 57-44, currently leading the Bearcats. Uh, earlier today, the Astros back in action in spring training, played the Nationals again. That's who they opened the Grapefruit League season with uh, last week. Jose Urquidy, your boy, PC, on the mound today for your Strohs. Threw a couple of innings, one hit ball, no runs, two Ks, no walks. And the most encouraging news of the day did not come by way of a non-Justin Verlander update, but rather a uh, pretty important Jose Urquidy uh, news nugget. Per Chandler Rome of The Athletic, Jose Urquidy said he discovered this offseason that he was tipping some of his pitches by how he moved or squeezed his glove in his delivery. He also worked this winter to solve that in addition to strengthening his lat-slash-shoulder area where he got hurt last season. That shoulder injury has been affecting him for three years. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we know how the story eventually ends. I hope, or do we, that he's able to strengthen it enough that he's able to pitch a full season. I hope that when it does come time that he needs to have it cleaned up, that it's something that can be fixed with a scope as opposed to a torn cuff, a torn labrum, um, you know, God forbid a shoulder capsule because Jeez, those are killers. Come on. Yeah, hey, why are you going this far? I just gave you good news. Because I'm saying, like, look, we know what it is, but I thought the most <laughs> important thing for him was that a, he worked on, on strengthening his shoulder. B, he found a flaw in his delivery, which he goes on to say when they when they faced uh, Minnesota. It's like, I was concerned that Christian Vasquez, who obviously caught him, mm-hmm. uh, and Carlos Correa had picked up on it and knew what it was. So he was trying to manipulate the pitch clock by like one pitch he'd wait to the very last second. Then he'd quick pitch. Mm-hmm. Then he'd quick pitch. Then he'd wait to the last second to, to mess up the hitter's timing uh, like that. Use different things that way. 
to kind of keep them off balance because he was concerned yeah. that they knew what he was tipping. Yeah, the game within the game, man. Uh, I, I just it, To me, this is encouraging, and the outing today is a little encouraging. He was like the only bright spot today for the Astros. It's also why I love Arkady, right? He's a freaking bulldog. You know, you using that term uh, is like music to my ears because I, I don't know what it was, but a few years ago when he made his Astros debut, do you— you probably remember this. It was his very first start with the Astros, and the guy was in a whale of trouble. I think he'd walked like three guys in a row, had the bases loaded. There wasn't maybe one out at the most. And that sucker, after a mound visit, just his demeanor never changed. In fact, if it did, he looked more like a bulldog. He got pissed off. He got out of that inning. I think he struck out the side and unscathed. Ever since then, like I've just kind of seen that moxie about him. And that's why, for at least me, I could roll with him. And he's pitched in big games before for the Astros in a pinch when they needed him last year, late in the season. He gave him seven quality uh, innings in a major way. I think that was a start like with a week, two weeks left to go in the regular season. You absolutely needed it when guys like Hunter Brown and J.P. France you know, were spent. Justin Verlander, you wanted to do your best to preserve him. He's a guy that when you need a big start, you can rely upon him because he's been there, done that. He's battle-tested. He, he's a guy who fights like hell on the mound. He doesn't have the best stuff. He doesn't throw 98. I mean, hell, there's games last year. He couldn't even throw 92, right? But the dude battles his ass off. Yeah, he finds a way. He and, seems to find a way more times than not. You know, I love guys who have that kind of mentality of no matter what's going on, I'm going to fight. I'm not giving you an inch. This is a battle, and damn it, I'm going to win. Yeah. And I, I love that mentality in guys. One of the things that frustrated us so much about Fromber last year, right, is he'd get in his head, start blaming the umpire, start yelling, and the next thing you know, he's, you know, walking to everybody, and he's giving up hits because he's, he's not executing his pitches because he's in his head. Mm-hmm. He's giving pitches away. He's giving at bats away, and those turn into runs. Or Kitty never gives in. Even when he doesn't have nearly the stuff that Fromber had. Sure. But if he did, but he never watch out. gives in. <laughs> if he did, watch out, man. That's I mean, if he could be healthy and be back to throwing 94, 95 top of the zone when he was at his most effective, uh, man, that's that or Keedy is a really tough pitcher. That's a, that's a number three guy on your staff, but he's a tough pitcher. He's a bulldog. And if if I could take Jose Gurkidi's mentality and put it in Fromber Valdez. That's a Cy Young winning pitcher. Oh, yeah, 100%. Just give uh, Jose Fromber's ability, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in, in the, the rarity that is, uh, you know, the skill set that he has um, to be dominant. Absolutely shut you down dominant. Talking about Fromber. Uh, shut you down! There was also another bit of good news today. Jordan Alvarez made his spring training debut, and it wasn't just any debut. He made his debut in the two-hole today. If you didn't see the lineup, uh, you had Altuve leading off, Jordan second, Bregman third, Tucker fourth, Abreu fifth, Diaz catching uh, and batting sixth, Pena short seven. Corey Jolks was in the left, typically would be occupied by Chaz under what we think is going to happen, and Dubon hit ninth in center field, which come the regular season is going to be Jake Myers, but it may turn out to be um, Mauricio Dubon if um, many of you get your way. 
or think at least it will turn out that way. But this might be a lineup that you get used to seeing, or you should get used to seeing uh, for much of the regular season. But Jordan Alvarez, they got their ass kicked today, by the way, 10-3. to 3. It's spring training. Who cares? It means nothing. Um, it means nothing. But what it did mean for the Astros pitching is that everybody named basically, uh, not named Jose Urquidy, just either walked a ton of guys or just got knocked around all over the yard. Guys just who one aren't going to be here. Pitch like guys who aren't going to be here. Yeah, Dylan Coleman did not have a good day, though. And that is a guy that the Astros went out and got this offseason. He walked three guys, gave up five runs on a hit. Coleman has potential, but but it started last year where he couldn't find the strike zone all of a sudden. And I think he is going to spend time at Sugar Land. They're going to work on his delivery. They're going to work on his mechanics. Uh, They're going to try to, you know, fix the things that are wrong with him so that later on in the season he can come up and be a part of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. That's literally what I think he is, he is going to be. Uh, he's, a guy, he, he's, got, he's got stuff. But starting last year, all of a sudden, his command just completely disappeared. Uh, he walked three dudes. So, again, he's not somebody that I thought I think is going to be here. Uh, Drew Strotman. At least not at the start. You know, no. the, the important thing and it started really about four or five years ago for me, maybe even less than that, really. But just particularly with the Astros, since, look, we cover the team, we talk about them on the daily. It happens all over baseball. But there are guys, PC, that don't break in uh, with the club on opening day, and you might not see them until midsummer. But the Astros have had a guy or two every single year uh, that contributes late that you'd least expected to do so or contributes early that you least expected to do so because things happen. Guys underperform, guys get hurt. It just happens in the Astros for an organization that, you know, continues to, you know, find their way closer and closer to the bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, what they've got in their farm system in terms of major league ready talent. They find a way to get contrib- contributions out of guys. Last year it was J.P. France way earlier than expected. Um, over the years, we've we've seen it from a number of guys, generally in the pitching department. So Keith Law, who is you know minor league expert type guy, yeah, now with the Athletic, uh, used to work with what Baseball America. Uh, he has the Astros farm system ranked twenty seven, mm-hmm. and when he's putting his write up in. He also puts in this this interesting caveat, which is the Astros always seem to have, the last several years, always seem to have a farm system that doesn't have top-end talent, yet they're able to coach guys up and get them to be productive major leaguers, whether it's Jeremy Pena, who was never a top 100 guy, whether it's Chas McCormick, right? It doesn't matter. Like, they find guys, uh, like Christian Javier wasn't a top 100 prospect, uh, Hunter Brown only became a top 100 project at the very end of his minor league season uh, in AAA when he had a better ERA than anybody else in the league by over a run. Mm-hmm. Like The Astros find ways to coach guys up. They look for guys who have tools, not necessarily guys who are uh, complete packages, but find guys who have tools, coach them up so that they can fit what they want them to be, and the Astros are better at that than anybody else in baseball. You know, Spencer Arrighetti is not a top 100 prospect. He's probably going to pitch for the Astros this year. And he's a guy who's got really good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Pedro Leon hit a home run today. 
Yes, he did. Pedro Leon. Is that the first for the Astros this spring, I believe? Uh, I don't think it was the first, but uh, he's a guy who three years ago was supposed to be on the fast track to the majors. That was before the Astros decided, hey, look, we know you're a natural center fielder. How about you play some short? You know, how about you play some sack? He's played all over. Now, you know what? Play short again. And these things messed with his development. They did the same thing to Miles Straw. Miles Straw was a center fielder. Hey, why don't you come in and play some second base? Why don't you come in and play some shortstop? And they kind of sabotaged the development of these guys. And they kind of did it with Pedro Leon, and it's affected his bat. And it's not his power because he's got plenty of power. Yes, he does. He's like 5'8 and 195 pounds, built like a brick you-know-what house. Mm -hmm. And um, he's got tremendous pop. He's got blazing speed. He has a cannon for an arm. He covers the outfield as well as anyone. The hit tool has not been consistent. Mm -hmm. There are weeks where he carries the team, and then there are weeks where he's getting himself out. Mm -hmm. If he can just cut down the strikeouts, shorten the swing, he's a 260 hitter with 25 home run pop and 40 steal potential who is a gold glove level defender with an arm that can literally throw from here to NRG. Yes, please. So get the hit tool right. Hit. See, to me, Pedro Leon is a guy who, if he can get the hit tool right this year, he's on this team at some point. Unfortunately, ever since the shoulder injury, Jake Myers has never come close to looking like the guy that he was uh, in, in 2021. Never come close. No, he hasn't. And I don't know if that's injury. I don't know if that's psychological. I don't know if it's both. Well, it's a little psychological. I don't know if uh, I I learned this last week, Uh, maybe over the weekend. Robert Ford, their play-by-play man, uh, he mentioned that Jake Myers this past offseason had spent a lot of time with a sports psychologist. And it was, I think, the first time that Jake had done that. So maybe... Um, at least just hearing that news, you could surmise that, hey, he's identified that there's there's been an issue and he's gone out and he's tried to fix it. Some guys use the sports psychologist just in the offseason. Some guys rely upon that guy all year round. We'll see what kind of guy Jake is going to be this season for the Astros. But the growing sense that I get is that the Astros are going to allow this guy to succeed or fail in the early portion of this year. There is going to be no pressure on this guy at all. They want him to go out and just be who he is. Dana Brown, in fact, said those exact same words about a week and a half ago, talking about Jake Myers. And so that that should excite Jake. You know, when you've kind of gone out and you've dealt with your problems and you hear that from your general manager, and I would imagine the spot has echoed the same thing, you go out and there's no pressure. It's like you get to be who you get to be. This is your spot to lose. The reality of that, though, is... The length of his leash is directly determined by what their options are to replace him. So if we get to May and Jake's hitting 180 mm-hmm. and Marissa Dubon's hitting 305, that leash is going to get short in a hurry. Sure. If we get to May and Jake's hitting 180, Marissa Dubon's hitting 224, and Pedro Alone's hitting 319. At least he's going to get short. <laughs> yeah. All right. If Jake's hitting 190 and Dubon's hitting, you know, 212 and Pedro Leone's hitting 220, 
It's going to have some run. Here's what I need to happen. I need Jake to hit about 265, and I need Pedro to hit about 285, and I need Mauricio to continue to do his thing and hit about 270, 275, and it's a beautiful problem to have. It's a great problem to have, and at some point, Pedro Leon would be up here as an injury replacement because, look, guys get hurt, mm-hmm. and when guys get hurt, you, you, you call people are going to get called up, especially if, if they have an injury on the infield. Mauricio Dubon is the guy who's going to fill that spot. Uh, if they have an injury in the outfield, well, Pedro Leon might get called up because whether he's going to play or Dubon's got to play, you've got to have a bench guy who can play center field. Yeah. So, to me, he is one of the, the guys who are on the very, very short list to get called up if he hits. Mm-hmm. All he's got to do is hit. Everything else is already there. Yeah, it's there, and I want to see it. 713-572-4610. Be a part of the show. You can call. You can text. You can hit us up on Twitch and YouTube. Make sure you do that. Follow, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Coming up next, we've got hot leads. We'll give you a Cougs update, Texan favorites, and tags. That's all in hot leads. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. These are the new leads. Now look, I need the leads. These are the Glen Gary leads. Two lead cards for tonight, two lead cards for tomorrow. Why give him the good leads? He's got the leads. He's got the leads. He's got the good leads. The whole thing is the leads. They stole the Glen Gary leads. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Time for hot leads on Area 45. One. I'm Sean Bajani. He is Patrick Creighton. Byron Matthews on the switches, uh, taking care of us this evening. First up on Hot Leads, saw this story regarding uh, one of a one of the Texans' favorite free agent possibilities this offseason at the cornerback position. We haven't spoken a lot about that, but Legereus Sneed, I know a lot of Texan fans would like to have him if he was going to be available. The Chiefs have reportedly, though, informed Sneed that they're prepared to use the franchise tag on him. Uh, Chiefs also open to consummating a trade if no long-term deal is able to be reached on the two sides. That from a Jeremy Fowler report earlier today. Sneed, as I mentioned, has been a favorite of many Texan fans this offseason is agreeable to the scenario, which gives him an opportunity to talk with other teams. But we'll see how that goes. The Texans uh, obviously are going to be potentially considering to what level, who knows, retaining one Steven Nelson, who's going to be looking for the bag, presumably this offseason. But the source, according to the Fowler report, stressed that a trade is very much on the table. Uh, If they do tag him, by the way, it would be the non-exclusive tag. That's going to cost KC about 19 mil. Uh, Javarius Sneed seeming like he's no longer going to be on the table. Yeah, they're, they're tagging for the purposes of trying to get compensation to trade him. Which, I mean, look, that's smart business, right? you got a guy who is in high demand, who's an, an excellent player, who, I mean, look, how many times we see Sneed, that, that replay of him punching the ball out at the one-yard line, that was one of the biggest plays all, all postseason. Yes. The biggest plays uh, in, in, that, in that Super Bowl game. He punches the ball out. And... 
Yeah, there are a ton of teams that want playmakers in their secondary. A 27-year-old playmaker, too. Uh, he's he's going to get a bag. He's going to get the bag. That's what I was just going to say, man. And, um, you know, the Chiefs, they can't pay everybody. If you're the Chiefs, though, you know, defensively, that unit, to me, those are the kinds of guys that it really it can hurt to lose. I mean, you were one of the best defenses in all of football this year, and he was a big reason why. Think in about one of the biggest moments. How the Chiefs won this year, right? You have... QB one, mm-hmm. you have tight end one, and you get like a bunch of Joes at receiver. I mean, Rishi Rice like kind of started to separate himself late in the year. He was for the nice. Most part, you get a bunch of Joes at receiver. You're the best quarterback in the world, and a bunch of Joes mm-hmm. at receiver. But their defense was terrific. Yeah, and it's really hard to keep defenses together because you need a lot of guys to, to pull together, and eventually all those guys want a bag. So. Like Chris Jones not getting the tag, Lejarius Need getting the tag. That defense is really different without those two guys. Mm-hmm. It is, and if you're the Chiefs, <laughs> they've found multiple ways to win this season because they did it the old-fashioned way for them, where they were able to you know go tit for tat with an opposing quarterback like Josh Allen, even in the postseason. But they were also able to. Uh, flex the muscle defensively when they needed to. I mean, if you if you're the Chiefs and you're going to let your uh, you're going to d- let your defense slip, do you kind of have to sign a wide receiver? I, you know, I mean, if you're the Chiefs and you've got this window that continues to remain open, I mean, why not? Why not? I, I know. Look, they're the Chiefs. I think are in the red. You know. Uh, I don't know how much cap room they actually have unless they push a whole bunch to future years. So they've already shown the cap means nothing. Yeah, but they could also hamstring themselves to a certain degree. You continue to push money and money into the future. At some point, uh, you know, a good GM is going to find it really difficult to kind of get out from underneath that. I mean, how long before Patrick Mahomes has to restructure his deal Mahomes boy. Uh, probably like <laughs> a month. But you know? at the same time, Mahomes has expressed a willingness to, to do so. To redo yeah. his deal and to take less money so the team can remain good around him. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to Tom Brady it. Yeah, he will. Next up on Hot Leads. Two. Raiders GM Tom Telesco said they're not trading Devontae Adams. And he talked up one Josh Jacobs uh, today at the Combine. He's a Raider, quote unquote. New uh, Raiders GM Tom Telesco said at the Combine Tuesday on Devontae Adams. On Jacobs, a little bit more interesting situation here. Said he's a Raider. He wants, he was, uh, excuse me. Jacobs responded uh, to being tagged last year um, by sitting out the entirety of the offseason program. I, I'd totally forgotten about that. When I read this report and it highlighted that, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'd forgotten. If they tag Josh Jacobs, which is back on the table according to reports today, as it was not yesterday, per Adam Schefter, damn you, Schefter, uh, all our Texan free agent targets, they're going away right before our very eyes, before they even hits March 11th. Come on, man. Jacobs did not respond well. Do you remember? I think he missed all of OTAs, a little bit of camp, came in late, ended up signing for like $11 million and change. With the new GM, I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this relationship kind of develops, if there even is one to develop, how long he's going to be there for it to do so. To me, this is going to be an interesting follow, just given the conversations that are going to be had per uh, Giants GM, uh, Joe Shane and Saquon Barkley, 
I mean, these are your top two free agent running back options if you're the Texans and a lot of other teams. It's going to be an interesting follow. And the Raiders are openly trying to trade Josh Jacobs last offseason, which is why there was bad blood, which is why he's Mm -hmm. like, well, fine, you're trying to trade me, I'm sit out. (laughs) I don't need to come in uh, if I don't even know that I'm going to be here. What, Mm -hmm. What the hell for? In fact, you know what? Don't come in because we're not sure we want to give you the playbook. Right. You know? So, like, if, if you're that, that relationship's already poor, let's let's take the best player. Well, it's a new GM. Let's take the best player on our team and, 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 and bleep this up. But when when they when you hear Tom Telesco say, Devontae Adams isn't going anywhere, all I hear right after that is, he gone. Think so? Every time somebody comes out with a definitive this guy's not going anywhere. That guy's on the block. And it's really just a matter of he's on the block and you better come with a big ante because I'm not selling cheap. It feels but different. I'm it feels different this time. And how many times have Raider fans said that over the years, right? It feels different. With Antonio, uh, am I getting, why do I want to say Antonio Pierce? Antonio Pierce is the coach. Antonio Brown, <laughs> when he's burning his feet in now, a hot air balloon. Oh, I was like hesitant to say Antonio Pierce. I was thinking the uh, basketball player, uh, but I don't know why. Pierce, the old Celtic. Oh, Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce, yeah. Uh, and and he carried off the court, yeah, because he might have you know soiled himself. <laughs> That's right. He'd get carted off, right? That <laughs> carried off. I think they carted him off. I might be thinking of a football player, but Antonio Pierce feels like the real deal. And as significantly as their defense improved when he got that job, you know, got the interim tag taken off of him. Um, this last season, even their offense picked up a little bit. Josh Jacobs was a big part of that. Devontae Adams is a big part of that. And to me, they've got a lot of other issues. But if you have a chance to keep a number one wide receiver and a number one running back, I mean, you got to do it. But I hope they don't for the Texans' sake if, in fact, it comes to that. I mean, listen, Antonio Pierce is going to be an old school player's coach. Dude covered for Plaxico Burris, but he shot himself in the leg. Damn near blew his own nuts off. All right. If he covered for him. Being that big a dumbass, wearing wearing a gun inside the the waistband of sweatpants. Yeah, yeah. Sweatpants. Nearly shot his own junk off. Safety Covered on, bro. Him. Come on, safety on. All right, he, he's gonna. Everybody's gonna want to run through a wall for him. <laughs> no doubt. Next up on Hot Leads, three. Uh, Cougs in action tonight. Uh, ball game just going final. Cougs. Hold on to beat the Bearcats, 67-59, to 59, uh, leading all scores in the game tonight. L.J. Cryer, he was the hot man early, finished with uh, 22 points, 7-15 from the field, hit four threes. Uh, Manuel Sharp knocked down three of them for the Cougs. Otherwise, poor shooting night for him, just 3-12 from the line. He finished with 11. Uh, Juwan Roberts with 15. Jamal Shedd kind of got it going a little bit in the second half at the free throw line. Gonna where he made most of his say nine points for the Cougs, improved to twenty five and three. The top ranked uh, Cougs have three more games remaining: Oklahoma, UCF, and they'll finish off the regular season against Kansas before the Big Twelve tournament games in March Madness get going. Props to Sampson and that squad. I'm every single night I get texts from Ocho talking about uh, the Cougs, how he can't watch him tonight. He, he's watching some rando basketball game tonight. He just can't bring himself to watch the Cougs. What's, what's your vibe on this basketball team that might bring the city of Houston another Final Four appearance this season? Ocho's not wrong when he says that uh, 
this this happens every game. They go through the stretch where either they can't shoot or they go through a stretch where the defense kind of breaks down. Hopefully those two things don't happen at once. That's like every team in college basketball, though, if we're going to be real. Thank and you. yes, his style of play is not attracting the most elite scorers in the in, in college basketball. He's not finding, you know, that, that one guy who's going out there and get 27 points, and every time you need a bucket, he comes through. Because he's got, you know, eight guys on the team who are two-way players, who are going to play tough defense, who are going to rebound, who will be physical. And, you know, a couple of those guys are going to be good offensive players. Some of them are going to be mediocre offensive players. Mm-hmm. And he calls it tryhards versus, like, elite scorers. They're not going to get elite scorers. They're going to get a lot of, of bruisers. They're going to get a lot of Anthony Masons. Uh, and every now and then one of those Anthony Masons can really put it in the basket. That's that's who they are. That is their identity, and that is going to be their identity as long as as he's the head coach. But you, you stole my thunder a little bit. You know, what basketball team, period, professional or collegiate, like, why are you expecting perfect games? No team plays a perfect game night in and night out. No, in fact, right now, uh, Kansas, seventh in the nation, they're locked in it with BYU at home. It's a two-point game with 11 minutes to go. College basketball, sports, uh, sports, anybody? Like Kentucky is ranked 16th. They eked out a two-point win over Mississippi State. Yeah. Like, it, it's not like, I mean, look, it's college basketball. You're going to win games where the score is going to get tough. You're going to win games where uh, you're going to have to fight your ass off because you didn't play your best game. When you are number one, everybody's bringing number one to you. Oh, Joe, I don't believe you, man. And I'll tell you what. You know, they could have been like UConn last week who became unanimous number one and then dumped all over themselves against Creighton and got housed. Yeah. UH went there and won. They got out to a, a, what, 10-point lead at the break? And... Yeah, they were up by almost 20 in the second half after a 12-4 run. They were up nine at the break and they won by eight. Okay, it's a problem. Here's the problem. Ocho. They didn't win by 50. Like I said, we've seen this movie before, and we know the outcome. At some point, Samson has to evolve from try-hard blue-collar basketball to more skill-led basketball. That's from Ocho. I ain't going to lie. I like their brand of blue-collar basketball. I like they're, that they, they play hard-nosed defense. I like that they're tough. They're scrappy. They die for basketballs. I like that. Can I tell you something? They have a championship team almost every season under Kelvin Sampson. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the championship, but you have a championship caliber team every year under Kelvin Sampson because of the way they play, the way he's coached them to play. Not everybody can play at U of H, and you, you mentioned that just a few moments ago. We talked about it a lot last night. It's just that brand of basketball can be good enough. It hasn't been. They don't have the great scores when you need it to. Hey, you know what? The one year where I think you really felt like, you know what, this team can do it, uh, Giroux was injured, banged up, and playing through injury, and that's the one guy you really needed to deliver offensively for you, and he just couldn't bring his body to do it. Injuries. I mean, look, there was a year where Cincinnati was the number one team in the nation. Kenyon Martin breaks his leg. No more title. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's a reason why people were flipping out over uh, Filipowski that's, the other night. That's what happens thing. when you have that one guy who is your team badass. That dude gets hurt, your team dies. Yeah. I, this Kooks team is uh, is going to make a run. And uh, I think Ocho's uh, one of those dudes right now with the fake outrage trying to piss a cougar off on Area 45 right now. I think now. he just, look, he, I think he, he really loves the team. No, he doesn't. He wants them to be perfect. He likes them. He wants them to be great. He He's a huge basketball fan. Ocho, huge, you're trolling me. Huge college basketball fan. And because he... He follows every single play like it's life and death. This is a huge basketball fan. <laughs> he he wants perfection. Yeah, you're not going to get perfection anywhere. Uh, 713-572-4610 if you want to be a part of the show. Coming up next, uh, legendary NFL writer Peter King called to quits uh, this week. Monday, in fact, yesterday. Today, he was on a radio show and recounted his biggest regret and, of course, it involves this guy. Appreciate you joining the show. It's Area 45. He's Patrick Creighton. I'm Sean Bajani. Byron Matthews producing. 713-572-4610 is how you can get involved in the show. Catch us on Twitch and YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter as well. At P. Creighton, the number one. At Sean Bajani for myself. Uh, so, Peter King called it quits earlier this week, announcing it on his uh, final uh, Monday morning quarterback. Uh, article, and um, I know a lot of people are going to miss reading this guy's work over the years, uh, regardless of uh, his haters. You read his stuff, and you enjoyed it, and you referenced it, and people talked about it on their radio shows like we're about to do on ours, but for a little bit of a different reason. Um, Peter King cup was... Of haters? Yeah, haters, man. Cup Everybody's of haters? got them. Everybody's a got of uh, he was on Maggie and Perloff. If you're not familiar with uh, Maggie and Perloff, uh, they are on a sister station of ours, I believe, up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Seven fifty, the game. They had uh, Peter- Maggie Gray used to be with SI. Used to be with SI. Yep, and uh, Perloff. Uh, he was doing Dan Patrick's show for a long time, uh, I believe, before he decided to peace out and do his own thing. And they have a great show. Do a great job. Couldn't have had a bigger, better uh, guest than Peter King today. One of the most topical stories in sports news. Well, King recounted one of his biggest regrets professionally on the show, and it involved none other than Tom Brady. Take a listen. Probably the biggest mistake I made in my career that I regret to this day. When I think about it, my heart sinks is I confirmed the ESPN story about the deflated footballs after uh, Deflategate first hit the scene. It was a Monday night, and I called two people who I was sure would know exactly what happened, and they both confirmed the ESPN story, and so I wrote it, talked about it, and it turns out I was wrong. And that brought me a lot of shame. And that I, that really bothers me to this day that I was wrong because it doesn't matter that who I talked to. It doesn't matter who uh, told me anything. It's my rear end on the line when I say something, when I confirm a story and I was wrong. And that's something that will haunt me, really. It, uh, it bothers me, literally bothers me to this day. 
All right, so for context, what King is talking about was what he'd reported after the uh, AFC Championship game back in 2015 that 11 or 12 of the Patriot footballs were underinflated by at least two pounds of pressure. However, it turned out, according to the Wells report, that only one of the footballs was two pounds underinflated. In this next clip, you're going to hear Peter King uh, basically say what he thought happened in regards to Roger Goodell basically uh, pulling off a hit job. said that, I've always thought that in that case, that was Roger Goodell killing an ant with a sledgehammer. Because I wrote this at the time that uh, Tom Brady, for the previous 10 years, had been allowed when he had home games. His equipment guys had control of the footballs. And when you go on the road, your equipment guys didn't have control of the football. Figured out that his passer rating in away games and in home games over that 10-year period. And it was something like, 99.8 to (laughs) 99.5. It was the same. It was the same. And what really ticked me off about that is that, you know, Roger Goodell commissions this study and the study says it's more likely than not that Brady had a role in, uh, in these footballs being doctored with. Well, first of all, it didn't mean anything in the first place. And second of all, you don't have absolute proof that he did have something to do with it. That always really bothered me a lot. It, both ways. Me screwing it up, and I think the NFL screwing up the discipline. So that was Peter King, legendary NFL writer on Maggie and Perloff earlier today. Uh, just for a little bit more context, PC, before I get your thoughts on this, because I know you got a lot of them. Uh, Brady was alleged to be, quote-unquote, at least generally aware, according to the Wells report, of a uh, plot to deflate the footballs. He was eventually suspended uh, the first four games of the 2016 season while the team was handed a million-dollar fine. Patriots were lost two draft picks. Brady, of course, to this day, has repeatedly denied all accusations. Um, I did not know this until I read... Uh, an article on this earlier today that Peter King at the time that this had gone down in 2015, when he wrote this report actually felt so crappy about the situation that he handed in his letter of resignation to SI and they handed it right back to him. Obviously he ended up writing for a lot longer. Peter King. That is was incredible to me. One of the great journalists of, of, of the, of the NFL ever. Yeah. One of the most respected guys in the history covering the league. Mm-hmm. And that he took it that personally, right? He didn't throw his sources under the bus. And he said, look, these were guys that, that I trusted, guys that, you know, I believe you know, were, they were there. They, they knew what was going on. And those guys fed him the NFL's line of BS. Mm-hmm. It happened to him. It also happened to Chris Mortensen. And it happened to everybody else who was covering it. Because in the beginning, everybody was getting the story, oh, all the balls are deflated. When in reality... They had no friggin' idea because nobody measured how how full the balls were before the game. They were playing in like 17-degree temperature. And they're like, oh, well, the ball is going to deflate because it's super cold outside. Well, how much? Well, we don't know. Well, where did it start from? Well, we don't know. <laughs> and despite the fact they yeah. literally didn't know their ass from their elbow, 
Roger Goodell's kangaroo court comes up. Yeah, you know, he knew. Or at least he should have known. He definitely knew. They have no idea. And for somebody as respected as Peter King to finally just lay it out there and say, this was a freaking hit job Mm -hmm. by Roger Goodell against Tom Brady, who had to sit four games, against the Patriots, who got fined a million dollars and lost draft picks and basically were, you know, made to be, quote, the cheaters of the league. Where have we heard this story in baseball, people? Okay, where the league put out a, literally put out a hit on a specific team and said, you're going to bear the brunt of this because, well, we said so. I love how he put that. Killing an ant with a sledgehammer. Yeah. That was so perfect. But at the time, I I don't remember what, you know, we were, I don't remember what I was saying at the time about this, but. For the NFL to levy this type of punishment against the New England Patriots, right? The darling of the NFL, the best coach, the best quarterback, the most successful franchise. I mean, that that's almost like if you put something in front of us today that brought down Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, right? That they were doing something, there were shenanigans going on. Like, how would we handle that? Like, the Astros were made the example in Major League Baseball, but that was after Major League Baseball had addressed the situation with the Red Sox prior to, with the New York Yankees prior to, and come to find out, probably a handful of other Major League Baseball clubs to a lesser degree, After the fact, they made an example of the Astros. Well, it was the Astros. It wasn't the New York Yankees in which were made an example of. Kind of very different in terms of how the NFL handled their darling versus how Major League Baseball handled the bastards of baseball. The Yankees are the darlings. Yeah. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Cardinals. They are the five untouchables, right? They're the five families of baseball. You can't touch the five families without the permission of four of the other families. Mm-hmm. Right? The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Cardinals. True. They are baseball's royalty. The Astros, they're the Johnny Come Latelys. Mm-hmm. So but they have no problem smashing the Astros. The same, like, it, look, if it was the Mets, they would have smashed the Mets. That I had no problem smashing the Mets, which would have made being a Met fan like unbearable because every Yankee fan would have just, like, they'd just be relentless. If you think what the Yankees do to the Astros is bad, I'm just imagine oh, if that was the me? Mets. Yeah, 10.0. To hell with 2.0, 10.0. So they decided to go the safe route. We're going to we're gonna go after the Astros because they're not one of our marquee franchises. Problem with Major League Baseball is the Astros have maintained their level of greatness for seven years while those other guys, uh, between all of them, share one World Series title in a fraud season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So baseball's plan kind of backfired. Yeah, and then when the Red Sox got caught red-handed again, they made up this cockamamie bull story about, oh no, it was just this one rogue employee in the video room who's giving all the info to what players? Mookie Betts, who won the MVP. <laughs> JD Martinez, who was like third in the MVP. Like these two guys have career seasons. The Red Sox tear through baseball like a hot knife through butter. Nothing to see here. Please disperse. Right. 
Right. It's uncanny, man. It's you know, the, oh, the Astros were cheating in 2018. The Red Sox were, were cheating, and they won. Remember how it was all about, oh, the Astros won because they cheated. Yeah. So all the other teams that were cheating and lost, it's okay to cheat when you lose, just not when you win. Except in 2018, where when you cheat and you won, it's okay. But for the Astros, who allegedly cheated, because they couldn't prove they cheated in that year, allegedly cheated and lost, well, they were still cheating bastards. Mm-hmm. You disappointed to hear about this uh, eight years after the fact, nine years after the fact? Yeah, because we should have heard about it six months after the fact. Right. I'm thinking the same thing. If Peter King was willing enough to hand in a letter of resignation because he'd felt so badly duped by this um, and reported this wrong, that you'd think he would have said, you know what, screw it. The truth shall set you free. I'm going to put it out there. In his final column, where he writes about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen Peter King's final column, go read it. It is 100% worth every second that you are going to spend reading it. Long column. It is absolutely worth the 10 minutes it'll take you to read it. He talks about how the the problem with media and how there is more league-controlled media that seems to have access uh, and and... That's kind of how things seem to be going is all this league-controlled media. He said league-controlled media comes with a price in that you cannot ask controversial or pressing questions. Ask Jim Trotter. (laughs) Jim Trotter, of course, who worked for the NFL's media arm, asked Roger Goodell a very fair question and literally got fired the next day. Yep. Yep. What's he doing now? He's covering the league independently. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's incredible. He's Patrick Creighton, Sean Bajani, Area 45. If you'd like to weigh in, we'll get to you, 713 We'll switch gears back to the Texans uh, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. D'Amico Ryans' insight on what kind of player he'd prefer at certain positions. Uh, fascinating, and I think we already saw it uh, with our very eyes this past year. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 